What time is it? Hello and welcome to the Bible Dig Godcast, a fun-filled exploration of archaeology and the Bible. And now, here are your hosts, author J.S. Earls and attorney Peter A. Papoutsis. Well, all right. Well, on this edition of the Bible Dig, we're actually going to get into uh, Noah. And um, I, I, I gave a little bit last time uh, about Noah and his relation to God and what we have with the ark. So let me, let me backtrack and give everybody the, the whole setup. You know, why, why, at least according to the Bible, this was happening and what transpired with Noah and the building of the ark. Uh, and I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and uh, through 11. I may get into 12 through 13 a little bit, but I'll let you know if I get there. Okay, so starting with Genesis chapter 5. And the Lord God, and this is again from the Septuagint. This is my English translation of the Septuagint called the Holy Orthodox Bible or HOB or HOB, as Jeff likes to call it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so, so verse 5. And the Lord God, having seen that the wicked actions of men were multiplied upon the earth, and that everyone in his heart was purposefully brooding over evil continually. Then God laid it to heart that he had, I'm sorry, then God laid it to heart that he had made man upon the earth, and he pondered it deeply. And God said, I will blot out man whom I have made from the face of the earth, even man with cattle and reptiles, with flying creatures of the sky, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found grace before the Lord God. I just want to back up and say that that little phrase, for I am grieved, in some versions of the Septuagint, it reads, I am angered. In other versions of the Septuagint, it has what I translated, which is, I am grieved. So God is not in a very good mood at this point from seeing the the sin, wickedness, and antiquity. I'm sorry, not antiquity, iniquity. (laughs) Antiquity is what we talk about, but iniquity of man at this point. Did God change his mind? No, God didn't change his mind. No, God was not angry that uh, that he had created man. Uh, Although it says, I am grieved that I made them. But you have to understand that God is not, you know, like that movie Noah, you know, with uh, Russell Crowe, where he was just angry that he created them and just wanted to wipe everybody out. But it grieved heart that man was doing this to himself. That man was so evil in his heart that he that he was just, you know, creating, I'm sorry, destroying the very image and likeness that he was created in. Right. So God was not grieved that he had made man per se, that he, you know, the actual creation. He was grieved that the man that he had created, the humanity that he had created, was corrupting itself. And he had to stop it. Right. See, a lot of people view this story as 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 God being evil or harsh or right. no. God was actually, if you if you understand the Jewish and the Christian interpretation of this, God was being very loving. And the way that this is explained in modern terms is like, you know, if you have a part of your body, like a like a foot or an arm or a leg or whatever, that's gangrious or cancerous. Uh, well, what is the surgeon going to do? The surgeon's going to to save the body, to save the person. He has to cut off that arm. He has to cut off that leg. He has to cut off that foot. 
He's saving the person by cutting those things off. So that's what's happening now. To give you the backdrop of all this is that God didn't make us evil. We made ourselves evil. And we made ourselves so evil that it grieved God. And like I said, in some versions, it says it, it, that, he, that he was angered. He wasn't just grieved. He was angered at us, that we're destroying the image and likeness that he had created us to be. Right. Anyway, verse 9. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, being perfect in his generation. Goes back to what you said before. He was closer to the time of the fall, so he had a better connection and communion with God than, than, than anybody else did at that time. Noah was well-pleasing to God. That's what the Septuagint says. The Hebrew says, and Noah uh, walked with God. That was a phrase that said that you had a very close communion and connection with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, but the earth was corrupted before God, and the earth was filled with iniquity or sin uh, or wickedness. You can translate that Greek word either, either way. And then in verse 12, it says, and, and the Lord God saw the earth, and it was corrupted because all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. Verse 13, and the Lord God said to Noah, the period for mankind is come before me. Because they filled the earth with iniquity, i.e. sin, and behold, I am completely destroying them from the earth. Okay, so now we, we know the story at this point. You know, it's, it's full of wickedness, uh, uh, iniquity, and God is just grieved that we've done this to ourselves. And if you understand it from, again, from a Jewish and Christian point of view, this is a loving act. Bringing the flood is a loving act. And it becomes even more loving when you understand that God is giving us a way out. He's giving us the ark. Right. Okay. Uh, now, if you, as we go into the dimensions of this thing, okay, the ark, and uh, we're also going to talk about, I think, later on, the ark encounter, where they actually built a life-size uh, uh, version of the ark. I think it's somewhere in western Kentucky of the United States of America. Uh, this is a huge thing. Okay, if I were to read the dimensions to you, <clears throat> it would be huge. And through verses 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, you get the dimensions of this thing. And it's a huge object. Uh, in the Hebrew, I believe the word is teba, uh, uh, T-E-B-H. When you put in the vowels, it comes out to teba, which is the word for ark. In the Greek, it's kivoton uh, uh, or kivoton, which means a, a, a container or a box. Um, so, and, and it's a huge container and it's a huge box, uh, or it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a huge, what we call a ship, a boat. Uh, because when you start looking at the dimensions on these things, like, you know, uh, you shall make the ark, you know, 300 cubits in length, 500, I mean, 50 cubits in breadth, 30 cubits in height. You know, when you start adding all that stuff up, you got like a big structure, dude. You got, yeah. you know, something huge at this point. Um, now, like what we talked about before, one of the objections that people had to this is that Noah didn't have the technological know-how to do this. Obviously, like we said, with the finding of Gobekli Tepe and, and a few other actual uh, archaeological sites that started to pop up, like uh, a sunken city off the coast of uh, Japan that corresponds to the time of Gobekli Tepe or around that time, we start to see that humanity did have the technological know-how to create something like an ark, something as big as an ark. Now, the story that we read in Genesis 
says that uh, God instructed Noah to create this ark. And we know from the rest of the story that what we just read in verse 10, that it was Noah and his three sons. So you got four people now working on this, on this ark, okay? But if you were to go to, uh, and let me go here real quick. If you were to actually go into the New Testament, and people are kind of, you know, surprised that the New Testament actually talks about Noah right. and flood. It actually talks about it. If uh, if you go to Second Peter chapter two verse five, it says, "If he, meaning God, did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, and here's the key word, a herald of righteousness." That's the Revised Standard Version. The, the King James Version has a preacher of righteousness. Either way, herald preacher, it's the same. Yeah. Thing. Okay, so if he, God, did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven other people, which is now you got to add in the wives of the kids, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Okay, so let's unpackage this for a sec here. First off, we don't know how long it took him to make this ark. We don't. We just don't. Uh, it could have been 100 years. It could have been 50 years. It could have been... Uh, you know, 70 years, 20 years, we don't know. But don't necessarily assume that it was just Noah and his three sons. And the reason why I say that is because of that one little verse in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5, which says, and Noah was a herald of righteousness. Noah was preaching to this decadent, fallen world of his, that a flood of destruction was going to come upon them because of their sins. Now, is, is proclaimed a prophet by all the Jewish and Christian writers down throughout the centuries. He's a prophet, okay, because he was prophesying about the coming flood. He was, he was preaching right, the righteousness of God. The, the biblical text is very clear because of Noah's lineage that he was one of the sons of God, meaning those people that had preserved the knowledge of the one true God. It stayed with him, stayed within his family, stayed within his 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 forefathers, Noah and Lamech before that. I'm sorry, uh, Enoch and, and Lamech before him. So Noah knows about the one true God and knows about the one true faith. And he's preaching righteousness to a world that, if you can imagine, was worse than the pagans. Okay, well, if you're a preacher of righteousness, I don't care if it's Noah's time, our time, or some other time, somebody's going to listen to you. Somebody is going to listen to you, and that somebody is going to be some bodies, more than one person, more than two persons, probably a lot of persons. And when Noah is saying, we got, I was told by God, we got to build this boat, we got to build this ark, the floodwaters are coming, I don't know when they're coming, but they're coming, and we are, we, we got to step it up, we got to kick it up a notch, and we got to start putting this boat together. So I got, so it's me and my three sons. Who else wants to help me? So it's it's inferred from the passage of Second Peter chapter two verse five that somebody would have responded to him to help him build this boat. Right. Okay. But let's say for the sake of argument, nobody did. Let's say for the sake of argument, and it kind of makes the story even more heartbreaking if we if you think of it that way, that nobody did. So you had four people taking their time building this ark. Or you had four people, along with whoever else was listening to him at this time, 
building the ark. Didn't yes. Enoch also, uh, and this is, yes, from the controversial book of Enoch. Um, but, well, it but, depends on it depends on what kind of Christian you are. If you're right. if you're an Ethiopian and uh, Eritrean Orthodox Christian, it's part of your Bible. If right. You're not not part of your Bible. Right. They, but from that lineage and everything, I mean, there were, you know, I, I don't. He didn't say a flood necessarily, but he did. He didn't. He say that there was a judgment that was coming, and that they did predict that it would be like that. There would be like kind of like a savior from their line yes. or from their lineage, which. Uh, just even more, you know, makes sense. And like Pete said, I mean, if this is something that that people knew uh, and and people had been talking about, it, you know, it's probably the same thing as the the adi- although it is probably the same thing that is the attitude that some people have nowadays. With you know, well, is Jesus going to ever return? People have been saying this for hundreds of years, you know, thousands of years, whatever. Um, so, you know, maybe they were, if they were hearing it from Enoch to who knows right. who else in the family was saying it, maybe some, right. uh, some people did. But, I mean, there's other people who undoubtedly were believers or wanted to be or, or, or whatever that, um, that probably did help him. Oh, they probably, I, and, I, and I think that's the logical inferred conclusion, because, you know, if you go back into Genesis 5 and you look at the lineage of Noah, it's exactly the people you just talked about you know you had um you know maha mahael jared uh enoch uh, uh lamech methuselah uh you, you know and lamech remember lamech was the father of 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 noah and enoch was the great was the grandfather of noah uh so in in our canonical Bible of everybody, everybody you know obviously takes the book of Genesis as canonical. Right, you see right. a very clear lineage of you know what's traditionally called the sons of God. That these are the people that have retained the knowledge of the one true God, of the one true faith, which is to be in communion with God, to live a righteous and holy life before Him, not for God's benefit, but for ours, so we can have a better communion with Him, a better uh, uh, discernment of him, and that then goes into Noah. Now, uh, first Enoch. I, I, I we weren't planning on really getting into it, but you know I do know of it because it is a canonical book. I want right. to just yeah. I want to I want to emphasize to people that in Western Christianity, first Enoch is not a canonical Bible, even though uh, a canonical book in the Old Testament, but it is known in Eastern Christianity. It really depends on the local Eastern Church. Like I said, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which is a very ancient church, established, you know, uh, very early on by the apostles. Uh, it was actually uh, uh, the actually the the guy who established the Ethiopian Orthodox Church was uh, converted to Christianity by uh, Stephen in the Book of Acts. That was right, then, right, right. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So don't. Don't be saying that the Ethiopian Orthodox are not uh, an apostolic Christian church. They are, and they're very old, and they're very ancient. And their Bible, by the way, has 81 books, and one of their canonical books is the Book of Enoch, or First Enoch. And in that book, and oh, by the way, and also the, the other church that broke away from it, not for religious reasons, but for, for, for political and ethnic reasons, the uh, Eritrean Orthodox Church. Uh, so b- there's two Christian churches with apostolic origins that have the, the book of Enoch as a canonical book in their Old Testament. 
and have based their 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 Christian apostolic teaching on that book. And and it's exactly what you said. Enoch preached a coming uh, catastrophe upon the world, uh, and he did preach that a savior was going to come. Uh, now the 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 later Christians. Uh, believed that the the message that Enoch was saying about a coming savior related to Jesus Christ, but that's a typology. That's a later interpretation, completely valid. Nothing wrong with it. But the immediate savior, as we see in the book of Enoch, was Noah. And if you get into that story of Noah, it goes right back to Genesis uh, verse nine that says Noah was perfect or blameless. If however you want to. You know, interpret it, or I'm sorry, not interpret it, translate it in in um, in English. But he was perfect or blameless in his generation, and in fact, in in the book of Enoch, it really goes, you know, into detail what that meant, right? Because because uh, uh, Lamech, who was the father of Noah, when Noah was born, he was born so beautiful, so pristine, so cleared skin, that Lamech said to himself. Did my wife really, you know, was is Noah my son? Did my <laughs> wife, you know, no, it says it. It says, is yeah. Noah really my son? Did my <laughs> so wife, the milkman, the milkman, <laughs> you know, some some relations with an angel or you know some other type of 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 divine being? And he actually went to Enoch. Uh, you know, Lamech went to Enoch with this concern, and Enoch basically said to him, and you can read it in First Enoch, but Enoch said to him, he goes, no, 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 that's your son. He's been, you know, set apart for a reason. So, you know, like, so don't worry. Cool your jets. It's it's your kid. Uh, but when he came out of the womb, there was such concern that it may not have been Lamech's son because he came out looking so pristine, so beautiful, that it really, like, threw him for a loop. Like, who is this kid? Yeah. Which, again, the Ethiopian Orthodox and the Eritrean Orthodox also use this as a, as a typology, meaning a... a a, a interpretation later on of the virgin birth of Christ by saying, look, God could do something like this or why is it so hard to think God couldn't do something like this again? So yeah. that's, why, that's why the, the, the Ethiopian and, and uh, Eritrean Orthodox Church accepted First Enoch as a canonical book because it had so many connections with Jesus Christ and his birth and his life and, and everything. And they could go back and and tie in so many things together. But anyway, so we now have archaeological evidence from Go- from Gobekli Tepe that Noah and his sons and possibly other other craftsmen would have had more than enough technological knowledge to put this boat together. So it's there, it's possible. It's no that's no longer a valid argument to say that it couldn't happen. Right. Okay. So now the second part. What what did this thing look like? You know, what did this ark look like? Well, that kind of depends on your, your biblical text. Because if you if you go with the 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 Hebrew Bible, uh, you have the picture of a very narrow uh, 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 wooden-like structure that, yes, can float. Yes, is perfectly proportioned as a boat and everything. But when you get to the... Greek Septuagint, and you get to the actual word for the ark, which is uh, kiviton or kiviton, depending on how you pronounce it. Uh, it just literally translates as boxed. 
you know, as some kind of container. And uh, and then it's kind of interesting because we 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 kind of talked about this or touched upon it earlier that a recent article came out about uh, some 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 clearer readings of the Dead Sea Scroll that make mention of the Ark being some type of pyramid-like shape or, you know, something that's more uh, vertical than horizontal that was, that was somewhat made clear by the Dead Sea Scrolls and has tangential, yeah, I'm going to use a big word here, tangential connection to the Septuagint in that there is a word in the Septuagint that kind of gives support for this. And that is found in uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 16 of the Septuagint. And it's the word anathen, or anathen, which, is, uh, which means to go up or to have something go skyward. Uh, and thou shalt narrow the ark, making it and in a cubit above thou shalt finish it, meaning going above it, going up, thou shalt finish it. So it's not a direct reference to it being a a, uh, a pyramid but there is something there that says that the that the point of the arc was going up instead of out and it gives a like i said before a tangential support to what they're finding in the dead sea scrolls that it had more of a pyramid like shape at least that's what it says in the article i haven't read the dead sea scrolls i'm just going off of what the article says that it has more of a pyramid like shape than the traditional long box uh, image that we see in a lot of the, um, uh, I don't know, like uh, in a lot of the representations of, you know, past artists. Yeah. But it doesn't really matter because whether you're talking about a long box or whether you're talking about a, a circular box, a pyramid-like box, it's still a boat that floats. No, and this this changes everything. You know. I can't believe in it now. Because <laughs> it doesn't look like a house slapped on top of a boat. You mean it doesn't look like the 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 picture out of like some of the children children's books with the the lions exactly. and the exactly. Yeah. There's this yeah. massive conspiracy by the church to present Man. this image massive and mislead children. Yeah. But you know it, the 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 other thing about it is, is that you know and again this is this actually ties into the message of why this story is so loving and caring and shows a loving and caring God as opposed to a a a, a cruel God is that. The first part of the story is the coming of the flood to to save man from it, from himself to stop the sin by destroying humanity, at least destroying that part of humanity that will not stop sinning. And then the second part is is that listen, as long as you stop sinning and go back to righteousness, you repent and you go back to righteousness, which is by the way in the uh, to go back to the book of first enoch there's a reference i believe i believe you can google this if you want but i believe there's a there's a uh, a passage in there that says that enoch was a great repenter meaning he lived a life of repentance wow and he knew that he was such a sinful fallen man that his entire life the very like every moment of his life he lived in repentance which is now a theme that's been carried on by the christian church since the coming of christ that that's how we are to live our life, a life of repentance, a life of, of, of forgiveness, uh, not just for ourselves, but for the whole world. But anyway, uh, you, so, so here you have uh, more of God's love and mercy shown in the ark that God simply says, look, it's here. It's built. The door is open. Everybody is welcome. I made this thing 
huge, not just for Noah, not just for eight people and all the animals, but for everybody, as many as can fit in. Come on, let's do it. Noah, you're out there. You're preaching every day righteousness, the coming of this disaster. You're picking up the message from, from, your, from your grandfather, Enoch. Let's do it, man. And here's this poor guy, and I do, and I do lament Noah because, you know, even though he never lost faith, he saw the people that he loved die in this great flood because they just could not believe. Right. So how would you like it? How would you like to be you and, and your and your just your immediate family in this huge boat that had more than enough food, more than enough uh, space, more than enough water, more than enough anything, everything to support you, to feed you, to, to care for you? And it's just you and seven other people. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and I was going to say, and a lot of people think, oh, that would be so cool to be to be Noah or to be Moses or to, you know, be these, you know, be, be a prophet or something. It's like, oh yeah, that's, it's great to say that, you know, all of these people, you know, and everything are going to be destroyed, you know, and, and, you know, if they don't, you know, repent or come with you or whatever. And it, it's, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not all, uh, it's not all roses. It's not all roses, you know, because one of the, one of the things that you, Again, to go back to the book of First Enoch, to actually, you know, go further, you know, step back from the story, you what you see in Enoch, <clears throat> and you and you infer this from 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 the Noah story from Noah, is that being a, a herald of righteousness or a preacher of righteousness or a prophet is not all it's cracked up to be. You know I mean, yeah, you may have some kind of romanticized notion, but how would you like it that you know you know? Disaster is coming. You're telling people how to get out of it. And they're just choosing not to do it. They're choosing not to believe you. Yeah. If you are, if, unless you have a heart of stone, yeah. you are in great anguish and sadness almost every hour of every day of your life. That you're like, you're looking at somebody that you grew up with, somebody that you know down the street, somebody that, 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 you know, uh, uh, you know, just that you're friends with and you're telling them, you know, disaster's coming. Here's a way out. Just follow me. And they're looking at you like, you know, with a stink eye going, yeah, right. Okay. Okay. He's, he's definitely fallen off the deep end there. Okay. Just, yeah. You know, and, and you're, and you're, and you're devastated inside. You're devastated. Inside. Okay. And think of the faith. Think of the faith. That Noah had to have to build this boat. I don't know about you, but do you think you and I would have that much faith to drop everything that we're doing and go out in the middle of somewhere and buy a lot of lumber and nails and all that stuff and figure all this stuff out and build a boat and say, hey, we're ready. Let's go. Imagine the amount of faith that takes. Yeah, but also I, I think it ties into Enoch, too, because if this is coming you know, from his family, from it, that's why I think— the Bible doesn't say that like Noah was shocked when when right. when God oh, yeah. told him this stuff, you know. Oh, oh yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. But again, the sad fact of it is, he knew it was coming. He knew it from his father. He knew it from his definitely from his grandfather uh, Enoch. Um, you know, and again, I, I want to be very clear. Enoch believed that the catastrophe that was going to be coming was going to be a catastrophe of fire, or something, you know, uh, along that that you know path. Right. Whereas Noah was specifically told, no, no, it's going to be a catastrophe of water. Now, how that's interpreted is very easy, is that 
you know, Noah had his vision of a catastrophe and Enoch had his vision of a catastrophe. His vision of a catastrophe already happened. Enoch's vision of a catastrophe because he was taken to come back later as Christianity as Christians believe as one of the two witnesses at the end of the world. Uh, his vision of a catastrophe of fire is yet to come. Right. So, and again, that's, that's, even if you didn't have the book of, of first Enoch, that's what the Christian church has always believed, you know, for over two millennia. Right. At this point. So, but still it's not romanticized people. You know, if you think that being a prophet is all it's cracked up to be, I suggest you start reading, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, and all of Daniel, and you can see you'll you'll immediately figure out immediately that it's not all it's cracked up to be. Especially Jeremiah, forget about it. I mean, that yeah, guy. I know <laughs> that guy went through a lot. They don't call him the weeping prophet for nothing. Yeah. But um, but to get back to the to the story here, um, I, I I think that no, I don't think. I mean, I know that. He had the technological know-how. He probably had the manpower, um, and that uh, that the ark was built, the door was open, and um, you know, as far as I can tell, uh, and we'll get into some of the archaeological findings as well. That not only is this a a sorrowful story, a, a very uh, uh, poignant morality tale that the Bible, that God Almighty through His uh, prophet Moses uh, uh, gave to us. But it's also one that can be supported uh, archaeologically because, like I said, the the technological know-how was there that we now know from Gobekli Tepe, uh, and the archaeological findings of uh, of people, especially back in the eighties, where they found um, uh, the remnants uh, of Noah's Ark up in the mountains of Ararat, um, and that the Turkish government to this day has officially declared a, a certain site as being the site of Noah's Ark. Ron Wyatt, that's his name. That's the guy. Okay, so this is based on the the field work and, and archaeological discoveries of Ron Wyatt. Again, he was a nurse working in the medical field back in somewhere in Tennessee, and but he had a love for antiquity, a love for archaeology, specifically biblical archaeology, and 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 so Ron Wyatt, you know, hiked over to Turkey to the mountains of Ararat, and uh, he was making discovery after discovery after discovery. The first discovery that he made was the uh, very famous discoveries now of Ron Wyatt, which are the anchor stones, these huge anchor stones that are found in the mountains of Ararat. You know, and, and, and again, the question is, why do you have anchor stones up in the mountains of Ararat? These are ancient anchor stones. Nobody's disputing them. Um, a lot of them have like later uh, graffiti on them. Some graffiti we know to be later, meaning during Christian times, but there's other graffiti that's on these stones that have the depiction of, you know, uh, a man, a woman, and uh, one, two, three, four, five, and six children or six younger people, I should say, uh, coming out of some kind of structure, box structure. <clears throat> so that's so, and we don't know where that graffiti is from. You know, meaning what time range? You know, the skeptics will say that that was put there later by by uh, christian believers right. or even muslim or even muslim believers because the muslims believe in in noah and the ark as well so then he takes the position that okay if these are the anchor stones then that means the ark has to be nearby somewhere and so he actually talks to the local people the local people there in turkey know about the ark know about noah know about you know uh uh where this this boat was told to them 
landed after the great flood. And so following the, the accounts of the local people, he went to an area that lo and behold, and again, you can go on YouTube and look at the, the, um, the documentary on this. It's a two-hour documentary uh, that Ron White videotaped, Ron Wyatt and Associates videotaped, while he was there in Turkey. And there you have not only the, these ancient anchor stones, but you have this, this fossilized impression on the ground that is so huge that it's in the shape of a boat or a boat-like structure. And yeah. you're like, what, what, what? Yeah. And, you know, some people have said, oh, that's just like the local Christian or Muslim population, you know, putting it there and creating it. And, and Wyatt was like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's test it. Let's research it. Let's, let's see how old this, this fossilized impression really is. But he couldn't do it because the, the, the um, Turkish government would not allow him to take any samples. But as you go into the, into the documentary, what you find is that an earthquake hit that site, which Turkey is notorious for earthquakes. And it split that uh, fossilized, you know, whatever, remains of a boat somewhat in two, not completely, but somewhat in two, but it split it enough that he could get in there and get a soil sample from deep inside. And, and it got around the Turkish authorities uh, rule that you can't bore into this thing. Right. Well, he's like, I'm not boring into it. Uh, there was an earthquake and it snapped on its own. Right. And at that point, the, the Turkish archeological society was like, well, all right, well, go ahead, go ahead and take your sample. And when he took his sample, that sample was extremely old, very old. It was older than any Christian or Jew in that area. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it predated them. It wouldn't. Right. There's. It was. It was way before them. So that would mean that if this is a fraud, if this is fake, that means somebody with knowledge of the Noah story took a lot of effort and time to fool everybody by making this fossilized boat structure impression on the ground. For what? For what reason? What would be the reason? So, because of that. And because of the anchor stones, as well as the local population of Christians and, and, and Muslims, more Muslims nowadays than, than, than Christians, although this was back in the 80s, so you still had a very large Christian population. I think it was 1984, 1994. I don't know. I got to look into it and see when it happened. Um, but I know it was very early on. I think it was back like in the late 80s, early 90s, something like that. So you still had a good number of, of Christians or at least a number of people in the area that had Christian roots but we're now Muslim, that knew about where these anchor stones were and where the ark had landed. And there's Ron Wyatt, and he found it. He found it by simply doing his research, by simply asking around, by looking at the archaeological artifacts, and he pinpointed it. And again, you could say that this is a naturally occurring geological formation that just happens to look like a boat that just happens to be on the mountains of Ararat, that just happens to be in the area that all the local population says that's where the local, that's where the Noah's Ark landed. What I would say to you is, man, that's a lot of coincidences there. Yeah. That's a lot of coincidences there. Um, but like always, we're throwing this information out. It's there. Do with it what you will, but there is, there is archaeological evidence there that not only Ron Wyatt, Ron Wyatt found back in 1991, 1992, 94, wherever it was, but even since then, that it's just been more and more confirming that they're just they're they're just that the that something was up there, that some boat was up there, and then the question is, 
you know, why is it there? Why would there be a boat up there? And then, of course, you go before Ron Wyatt and you start getting into all of the recorded stories from Christians uh, that say that they saw the ark, that they saw the ark covered uh, half with, uh, with ice and snow and half without, that it broke in two. Uh, kind of exactly like what the fossil was showing, that there was an indentation that did show that the ark was broken into at some point and then dissolved. Um, that even there, with the fossilized uh, uh, imprint of the ark, there were fragments of wood, that there were wooden artifacts there in the fossilized remains. Again, what is this if not uh, Noah's ark? So, um, and then of course you have the the famous um russian biplanes that would go over that area and take the aerial photographs and you see something that kind of looks like a boat yeah Can't really that it is a boat but kind of looks like a boat yeah i remember that yeah the the some of the de- some of the some of the united states government's declassified photographs from our youtube planes that the cia had that also show something there kind of looks like a boat but we don't know for sure but again what's this anomaly that's in the mountains of ararat and 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 we have this story of Noah's Ark landing in the mountains of Ararat, uh, and we have this uh, we have these anchor stones, and we have this fossilized impression of a boat. Uh, we have corresponding stories of 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 it being split in two that correspond to the depression in the in the fossilized impression, and on and on and on. And so you're left with either this is the most incredibly coincidental story that just lines up with every anomaly that we find in pictures and in stories or it's Noah's Ark. Yeah. You got to, you got to answer that question yourself. We're just telling you that there's something there and that people have found it all through the ages recording it. And again, I would urge people to look up the Ron Wyatt and associates um, video on YouTube. It was copyrighted. It says in 1994, uh, I, I, it was published on June 7th of 2012, and it's through the Wyatt Archaeological Research Production Company. Let me throw in this because I put it in the, into the Facebook page, you know, because everybody was kind of you know, like, wow, that's kind of cool. But I was there at the Great Church of Hagia Sophia in Turkey, in Istanbul, in 2006. And, <clears throat> you know, they do a tour of Hagia Sophia. It was, a, it was an, uh, the Great uh, Church of the East bigger than St. Peter's. It was the um, uh, church of the uh, uh, ecumenical patriarch at that time. Anyway, it's a museum now. It's gutted out. There's you know a few frescoes and icons on the wall, but it's pretty much gutted out at this point. It's a museum. So we did a tour, and it's beautiful. It's me, it's my wife, and the rest of us that are there. And we're doing a, a tour of the church. And as we're leaving the church, I, I the doors are already open for us, but I put my hand on, on this big metal door. I mean, it's a huge door. You can actually Google it and, and take a look at it. And so as I put my hand on the door, you know, just, I don't know, out of reflex, like, hey, door, stay open, even though it's already open for me. I just do it as a reflex, you know, and I'm touching the door. My, uh, our, uh, our tour guide looks back and notices me, you know, putting my hand on the door. And all of a sudden she says, and I want you to know that these doors are <laughs> traditionally thought to be the doors to Noah's Ark. And I'm like, What? what, what did you say? And I'm turning to my wife and I'm like, what did she just say? She said, like, these are the doors to Noah's Ark. And I'm like, wow, what are you doing? Wow, like, that was a, that was a mind that. Stop touching it, Pete. Yeah, stop touching the doors to Noah's Ark. <laughs> so, but how do I know? You know, that's just a local story and it's a, and it was, 
it was uh, it was a nice story back in 2006. And I, you know, one of the things that I would add um, that, and I just couldn't help but picturing what we've been having this discussion uh, is just uh, thinking about baptism and how kind of baptism in, in a lot of ways uh, kind of symbolizes the flood. Yes, and the and the washing away of the sins and new beginning—a beautiful way to represent that. And you know that's a and that's a beautiful thing. And that's what the that's what all the ancient uh, uh, Christians believe. Because what do you have in the flood story? You have the water, which is the the baptismal water. Right. You have the water, you know, cleaning away the sin, and the baptismal water cleaning our sin. And what do you have at baptism? The coming of the Holy Spirit, the filling of us with the power of Almighty God through His Holy Spirit. What do you have in the flood story? The dove carrying the olive branch, right. which is, again, you go back to the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Luke. How do you, how, what's, how is the Holy Spirit symbolized? Like a dove. So, there's, so what you just said is absolutely correct. There's a direct parallel to the baptismal stories of Christ and of all Christians in the Gospels. For more info on the Bible Dig Godcast, please visit the Bible Dig Facebook page, where you'll discover a treasure trove of photos, the latest archaeology finds, and our monthly Bible study. And remember, when in doubt, just get diggy with it. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bible Dig Podcast. Sorry. You're going to have to rewind again. No, no, I'll keep that one. That'll be fun. This week, we'll be continuing our discussion. I don't know what accent I'm doing. What, you're doing like a British, kind of like a British Hindu accent or something. We can do the whole Bible cast in an English accent. In an English, yeah, that'd be great.